Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill. I'm sitting in for Peter Lawford this morning. And with me this hour on the phone is a very esteemed uh, dream researcher, Dr. Robert Vandekassel. He uh, is author of the the voluminous book, Our Dreaming Mind, which is a sweeping exploration of the role that dreams have played in politics, art, religion, and psychology from ancient civilizations to the present day. It's basically the go-to book for anything that you want to know about dreams. This is a really great entry point. So Our Dreaming Mind, he he wrote in the 90s. He was uh, with Calvin Hall back in the early 60s. He developed the uh, Hall Van de Castle scales for uh, examining dream content and dream analysis. And uh, he is continuing on the forefront of all kinds of really interesting studies on dreams. And so I just want to give you a special welcome, uh, Bob Van de Castle. Welcome to, I guess what this is, is a special Sunday edition of Dream Talk Radio. Because on my Thursday morning show, I talk about dreams and consciousness and culture, but now I get, you know, I'm sitting in for my friend on his Sunday show, but I'm going to just insert a little dreams into uh, people's Sunday morning. So welcome to the radio. Delighted to be here. Great to have you. Um, the great thing about having the show talking about dreams is that I get to talk with all of these fabulous thinkers and dreamers and really shapers of the way we view dreams. And I think that your early research... Uh, with Calvin Hall was has been so influential in talking about in in the ways we've conceived of dreams and sort of bringing dreams from a more of a kind of a Freudian this equals that equation into a much broader spectrum. Yeah, what we had hoped to, to do with that is if people were to ask the question, you know, is it usual to dream about X or Y? We never had much of an answer to that previously, where what Kelvin and I did was he had access to a large number, tens of thousands of dreams, primarily from American college students, and then we went through and randomly selected groups of dreams from there so that we wound up with uh, having 500 males contributing, I'm sorry, 100 males contributing 500 dreams, and 100 females contributing 500 dreams. So we had norms based on a 1,000 dreams. So if somebody were to ask how often do people dream about uh, glass, we could give you figures on that. How often about shoes, we mm-hmm. could give you a figure. And so we could not only talk about the individual objects, but also the kinds of actions. So we scored up. And we went through all of these dreams and tried to figure, what are the common denominators? If you read a dream, what are the things that typically are, are in every dream? Yeah. And so usually the dream takes place somewhere. You have a setting for it. You're inside a building or you're outside in a, at the beach or in the woods. 
and you have some characters there. They're either a single character that you interact with or a group of characters, and then you can talk about what is their gender, what's their relationship to you. Are they a family member? Are they somebody who's known? Are they somebody famous like President Obama? Right. And then what are these characters doing? What kinds of social interactions do they have? Are they fighting with each other, yelling at each other? Are they being friendly and having a dinner together? Are they making love and engaging in sexual activities? And what do they feel? Are Mm -hmm. they frightened? Are they sad? Are they confused? And so we can go through, and we had pretty precise rules as to how to score them up. And then in our book uh, that you referred to, the content analysis of dreams, we can look up and then state with that precision of in a thousand dreams, we find 23 cases of that, 44 cases of this, and so forth. We find various things. And we can find that, you know, there are significant differences, for example, between men and women. Yeah. Both equally entitled, equally bright, equally deserving, equally wonderful. We need both kinds to make the world go around. But there are some differences in their interests and so on, and those get reflected in the dream. So let me pause for a breath and sure. let you go on with the next question. Sure, okay. I'm getting a little bit of, of um, uh, reverb, a kind of an echo on your phone, so I'm not sure whether that's from this equipment here or whether that's something um, on your end, but anyway. Yeah, I'm just... I, I, I don't know on that end. Let me ask, I have my reliable companion here and see if she has any input on that. Okay. Bobby, could you hear on that? We're having problems with the phone. Is there sort of reverberation or anything? Oh, well. No, my reliable companion and since there's anything we can do about it. Is All right. Well, it just puts an extra little um, exclamation point on everything you say, so I guess we'll just leave it. <laughs> this, you know, sometimes the technology gets to be a little bit baffling at a certain point. But hey, this is community radio, so we are up for it, gang. We are, we are, we are poised and ready to work with whatever comes our way, technologically speaking. Um, so when my friend Peter asked me to uh, sit in for him on Friday night, uh, you know, for a two-hour Sunday show, I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to sort of trust that whatever, you you know, the people that I need to interview will show up and the ideas that I need to have will show up. And so I went to bed on Friday night and woke up with a dream that I was was, uh, looking at Jung's Red Book with a friend. We were sort of leafing through the pages and looking at the pictures and talking about it. And so I, you know, with that little brief dream fragment, I thought, huh, well, that would be interesting to have somebody to have somebody on the show who can talk about Jung and the Red Book and what that all means for the, you know, for the field of dreams, but more broadly for for the the culture. And you know, we've been so affected by Jung's theories um, in, in in the days since he was alive and writing, and and it's just so striking that now. It's kind of like a remembered dream with a, the publication of the Red Book is like now we're all kind of remembering collectively Jung's big uh, series of dreams. And so I would love to get your take on that and, and what you've seen in your explorations of the Red Book. Well, what I try to do in our dreaming mind is to review the major theory. So I have a chapter on Freud, but I don't treat him too kindly because mm-hmm. of He's, for me, uh, given almost a disservice to us because he's put so much emphasis on sexuality in dreams. And Mm -hmm. certainly sex is important, 
but not to the degree that he's focusing on it. And uh, Jung, to me, was much broader in the speaking to much deeper kinds of issues and does it in such an informed way and clearly is willing to share his dreams. And so when you look through the Red Book, if you don't get a hernia trying to carry it around <laughs> the room because it is so big and massive, uh, you see that there's his own dreams and some beautiful, moving illustrations and mandalas in there, and it, you just get the feeling for the man in a quite different kind of way, and, and to appreciate the the depth and the kind of eternal issues that he's addressing. So when yeah. he talks about archetypes, these deep sort of embedded concepts that come up, they have a universal ring to them. If we're talking about an earth mother, you can be of Chinese background or American or uh, African or whatever, and earth mother is still a meaningful kind of mm-hmm. concept, or the wise mm-hmm. old man. Is, is And so there's you know, several archetypes like that, and we realize that these are the kinds of things that every culture has had to deal with throughout their their history and saying important messages. And Jung certainly felt that these came from deep, deep within and was willing to talk about dreams in terms of connections like with the soul, didn't get skittish like Freud did, where Freud was so paranoid about having any possible connection with religion in any way and had to make sure that he completely distanced himself from anything to do with religion. Jung was not obviously aligning with any specific religion, but the idea that we need to have some kind of a connection with a larger order within the universe, that there were some kinds of principles that drove us all and have always driven us in the past and will be in the future that we need to to deal with. And how we frame that in terms of a God-type concept is up to each of us individually, but I just get this deep sense of awe when I look through the Red Book and look at some of the drawings that he made and they just seem to be so shimmering and light shining through them and so this kind of luminosity that he sought and was able to capture and preserve in some of his dreams to me it's just just truly truly inspirational so again I'll pause here because otherwise I'll just go on and on and on so (laughs) I, I need to have you bring me back into reality here? What a great self-regulating device that is. <laughs> We're talking with uh, Bob Van de Castle, who is a, a preeminent dream researcher and author and uh, just all-around great guy. You've been around for forever, and you are part of, well, we should mention, the International Association for the Study of Dreams, of which we're both members. I believe you were a founding member um, back in the day. And the IASD is is a pretty unique organization in the world, I would say, bringing together uh, not just uh, science researchers on sleep and dreams, but... Uh, Folks from all different faith traditions, uh, psychologists, uh, just pretty much the widest range of dreaming perspectives that I've ever witnessed. And we have yearly conferences, and there is one coming up sort of in your neck of the woods uh, this summer. Yeah, the one we've been going on for 25 years now, and as you mentioned, we're 
have space for everybody from A to Z, whether you're an artist, anthropologist, or all the way up to zoologist. And the main thing is you don't have to have any kind of a university degree. It's not one where you have to have a Ph.D. or graduate degree at all. All you have to do is be a dream appreciator, just as you can belong to the Sierra Club if you have an appreciation for nature and you're trying Mm -hmm. to protect our wild habitats and so forth. So, too, with dreams, if you're an appreciator and if you become a member, then there's lots of fringe benefits. You can get to go to the annual conference, and we've had those at many places throughout the United States. We've also had them overseas in uh, London and the Netherlands and in Denmark and in Canada a couple times. And one of the other fringe benefits is we have what's called a cyber dreaming conference that we sponsor and that takes place in september goes on for about two weeks and it's about 35 dollars to sign up for it and then it's all done on through computers and through the internet and then we have maybe 15 different people presenting papers and then you can get a chance to hear them present their papers and then ask questions and go back and forth and we usually have a couple hundred people from around the world We've done it now for, I believe, seven years like that, so that yeah. would be one in September that would be open. But it's it's just it's a wonderful time because we have papers representing every kind of theoretical viewpoint. We don't in any way eliminate uh, access for anybody with any particular view toward dreams, so you can be Freudian or Jungian or behaviorist or whatever, and we have papers presented, have a large number of workshops. We have a telepathy contest every year where we have Mm -hmm. people try and dream about a picture that's randomly selected and then see if they can have a dream that would correspond to that particular picture that a sender is looking at. We have a big dream ball at the end where people come dressed as a character from their dreams. So we have prizes for the most Oh, sexiest dream, or group dream, or humorous dream, or right. uh, whatever. So there's wonderful energy for that. And again, we have maybe 300 people or so for that. So the one in Asheville we're looking forward to is being a wonderful site. There's a lot of good spiritual energy around mm-hmm. Asheville. It's fairly close to Cherokee country and so forth. So we're hoping to blend some of that energy as well, and if you're a member, you can also get a newsletter, which has more popularized accounts about dreams, as well as a professional journal that we offer, so we can have the kinds of things published by the American Psychological Association that would be the you know top-level research right. stuff, but we also have the other kind of, I don't want to say gossip col- column, but we <laughs> do more informal in the dream time. So thanks very much for the opportunity to... Oh, yeah. uh, Put in that plug, and we'll be looking forward to seeing you there. In I will definitely somewhere. be there. If, I, if all my ducks get in a row, I will definitely be there. I'm actually uh, doing one presentation so far, so that should be good. One of the things that I, I do love about uh, the Association for the Study of Dreams is what you were saying. There's two different uh, publications that come out. One is Dream Time, which is a more popular... <laughs> 
I don't know if it's gossip-centered, but, you know, it's it's a sort of a layperson's uh, guide to stuff that's going on, and different people can submit articles and so on. And then the other journal comes out, I think, twice a year or maybe three times, and it's, it is a peer-reviewed, uh, you know, sort of an APA format journal that's that's got a lot of... Uh, recent research and so it's it's interesting to track both ways that people are investigating dreams and unfolding different possibilities. It's really a rainbow coalition so when I was the president back in 1985 and wrote my first column as president I said I hoped we would always preserve that rainbow coalition so we could have the white-coated scientists come in and they could present on their EEG studies and REM periods and physiological measurements of what's happening in various parts of the body during sleep. But we could also have these other kind of workshops where we're learning about hypnosis, where we are having workshops about spirituality, where it may be about doing poetry, and that all of these many, many, you know, dreams are a many splendid thing, and uh, many, many different ways we can try and work with their energy and with their imagery. And so we encourage people to come and enrich us with all of their vast knowledge because nobody's got the uh, rights on dreams cornered That's in right. any way. There's very, no way very to... much of a wide open field because dreams themselves are so broad and diverse. You know, it's impossible to try and squeeze them into any one box or container. It would be it would be very there's no way to patent anything from the dream world. It's all pretty fluid. One of the, the things, we are, we're talking with uh, Dr. Bob Vandekassel on dreams today here on Peter Lawford's show. I'm Ann Hill, sitting in for Peter and bringing you a special Sunday edition of Dream Talk Radio. Uh, you will find a podcast of this show, I should mention to people, at dreamtalkradio.net. In the next couple of days, I'll have this up. And you can get in touch with Dr. Vandekassel at ourdreaminmind.com. One of the things that I've appreciated about you over the years as I've come to sort of uh, read more of your writing and listen to the presentations you give and so forth is that you never you didn't really stop from the first from your first uh, you know content analysis efforts and all those publications you just continued following your curiosity about dreams and that's taking you into some pretty interesting Space and I use the word space because I mean one of the big things that you're doing is is working on dream telepathy, and uh, it's something I get asked about a lot. So I'm really curious to hear, kind of what what to you is the frontier of dreaming, and maybe just give our listeners a little bit of a of a thumbnail sketch of what just what dream telepathy is. Well, I never realized that I might have any such abilities myself. I was working with Calvin Hall down at the Institute of Dream Research in Miami, Florida, and we had had some discussions about did dream telepathy exist, and I thought he was being kind of skeptical. He kept telling me, no, he wasn't, but he hadn't made a believer of me that he really was accepting it, and then we had had a program there where we were trying to compare what kinds of dreams do you have in the laboratory when you're woken up and you've got the EEG electrodes attached and you can tell with precision when a REM period is and wake a person up right during an ongoing dream. And how did that compare with the kind of dreams you would have at home? So we were using ourselves as subjects, each of us being in the lab with the electrodes on, and 
The other one would wake them up and have them report the dream. And we're also keeping track of dreams at home. I would record them on a little tape recorder at home. And I found once I had been a subject in the lab and wakened frequently that it was it was easier and easier to start to remember them. So I would just sort of go to bed at night and say, okay, I'm going to remember my next dream and I'll wake up and report it. And I would do that and say, okay, now I'm going to remember the next dream and report that. So it didn't take very long before I had recorded uh, 90 dreams in a month's time. Wow. There was about you know, three a night. That's a lot then we of could dreams. compare those with the dreams we were having in the lab. And so one night I was there dreaming and I had this dream about a boxing match and I was going through it very vividly and talking about this boxing match and doing all of these punching activities myself and so forth. And when Calvin came in to wake me up, he was just had this strange look on his face because he didn't tell me he was going to do it, but he was trying to send me boxing imagery. And then when he's sending me boxing imagery and I'm having this very vivid boxing dream, huh. he was impressed. And then the next night it was same thing, except this time it was skiing. And it was going up on a big ski toe and coming down the mountain and skiing and a lot of very vivid skiing activities. And then that night he had been thinking about skiing. And so that kind of blew him away that he himself in his own lab couldn't right. deny that that's what he had been thinking about and then wakes me up and here's the dream being reflected of what he had been thinking about. So was he specific- So then that led to my being uh, uh, recruited as a subject to go up to Mamides Hospital up in Brooklyn, New York, where at that time there was a big uh, 10-year program that was ongoing with uh, Stan Krippner and Monty Ullman, and they had some funds to try and investigate telepathic dreaming in the lab. So I went up and I was a subject for them up there. So my task was I would be awakened, you know, throughout the night, every REM period, and ask what my dream was. And then the next morning they would show me eight different pictures, and I had to try and determine from the dreams I had as to which one of these pictures I thought most closely corresponded to the dreams that they were having. And so sometimes you don't, it, it's difficult because like one night I was quite convinced because I would say if I had, you know, the first dream and the second and the third, et cetera, what I think it's going to be because if I'm dreaming consistently of something. And this one night I had several dreams about African Americans and I said, I know this dream is going to be about African-Americans. Mm-hmm. I dream about them sometimes, but not all that often, but the fact that I've done it, you know, in like three different dreams tonight, I'm, right. I'm sure that the pictures, African-American, it's several of them there, and, you know, it gives yeah. several other details. Well, when they brought in the eight pictures for me to look at and to try and judge, three of them had African-Americans in them. Mm. So it was, it was very difficult to say which was the single one right. that most closely corresponded, but over a period of time when I had been a subject there, eight nights overall, it took me almost a year to do all that. I would go up there every couple of months to be a subject in Brooklyn. Uh, I turned out to be fairly successful. So because of this like African-American situation where you have so many different uh, targets that are similar to it, we came down to a criteria that if I rated the picture as a uh, the target picture and I had given it a rank of one to four so say this is my first choice second and so on and 
if I gave it a rank of one to four, as a corresponding to the picture, that was called a hit. If I gave it a rank of five to eight, it was called a miss. So on that basis, for each of the eight nights, I got a hit. It wasn't always the very first choice, but it was always within the top four and mm-hmm. never in the bottom four. And so I've done, uh, been in other laboratories and did some in my own lab at the University of Virginia. And it's just, I find that consistently we keep getting evidence that to me seems very supportive of a telepathic uh, idea. And that's why just to try and introduce my colleagues right. to it, at the Association for the Study of Dreams, we did this little informal. I can't claim it's any kind of an experiment, but it's, it's kind of an informal, funzy sorts of things of let's see if you can try and dream about this picture that somebody is sending. And we would year now, by, year can I, year, the, can let me the, can, by sending. On it. So I feel that there's been a very solid case that can be developed for it if anybody's willing to, to look at what the evidence is. And this is under carefully controlled laboratory conditions. So I think definitely uh, telepathy exists, and I think we it gets to be a more complex topic because it isn't yeah. just a single dimension. So, so if we were to go into the area of parapsychology, we have what would be called telepathy, which is a mind-to-mind interaction. We have clairvoyance, which is a mind-to-object interaction. So if we've lost something and we can then find the object, there's no telepathy because it's just mm-hmm. you and an object. And then we have precognition where you're able to state today what's going to happen in a week or a month or whatever period of time in the future. And lo and behold, that does turn out. So that would be precognition. And what we find in these annual contests is we do get evidence for the person who's looking at this picture, trying to send it. People pick up on that. But they also get some very striking correspondences between other pictures that sender wasn't looking at but were part of the pool. Mm -hmm. And that's where the whole Vandy Castle system can be useful because let's say somebody has one of the pictures is an elephant and that wasn't actually the one they were trying to send but it was in the pool of the four that are used. Then we can say from our norms they should only dream about elephants maybe once in 400 dreams and instead out of 40 dreams that we're having, we got three or four elephants. So we're getting many, many more elephants, and we can use our norms to say, this is unusual. This shouldn't be. We shouldn't have that many elephant dreams because they just don't occur in the norms. But we get elephant dreams when elephant, an elephant picture is part of the pool that we work with. And so it, it gets to be... Well, you almost have to get into the idea like of quantum physics in terms of how it goes because it really is an entangled situation at night. Gene Radin has written a wonderful book called Entangled Minds and we can see how we all get in there and we all are becoming swimmers in the cosmic ocean each night like that. And so we're all fused together. We all are interacting with each other and uh, in a in a wonderful entangled fashion. That's why I called my book our dreaming mind because there had been Alan Hobson at Harvard who had written a book called The Dreaming Brain. Right. And I wanted to try and differentiate it from the brain and make it more vitalistic with the idea of a mind 
and they wanted to get away from the brain as if it was isolated to recognizing that it's our collective right to our collective legacy of ours. So that's why it's our dreaming mind. And I think our dreaming mind, when it gets going, is tangled up with your dreaming mind and all of the listeners out there who are uh, following this conversation. And uh, so it's it, it's a many splendid, intertwined, yes. multidisciplinary, entangled kind of <laughs> complex at all ball of uh, string gets entangled yes. up, and which is again something that would be similar to what Jung was talking about. Yes. So I'll take a breath again. Okay, <laughs> very good. Well, I mean, there's so many ways I could go off um, and ask different questions about different things, mm-hmm. uh, but I should mention to people that you are listening to Peter Lawfer's show. Uh, this is uh, Ann Hill. I'm sitting in for Peter and have a special edition of my show, which is usually on Thursday mornings at 9, Dream Talk Radio. And so this morning I'm talking with Bob Vandecastle, who uh, has been on the forefront of dream research for more years than most of us. And uh, one of the things that I find interesting about your your dream telepathy studies is that in terms of scientific proof, I mean, you're you're taking a pretty objective view of all this. You're controlling for different variables, and you're still finding a predominance of dream images and symbols that correspond to these these pictures, which are being sort of uh, transmitted or, or being thought of uh, very uh, constant in a concentrated way from by this sender each night. And so you can prove basically over and over again that this is a, repu- a replicatable study that we can send images through time and space to other people who are asleep and dreaming and somehow the dreaming mind is kind of like a big uh, like a butterfly net and it kind of catches all kinds of stuff and uh, so the thing that interests me is that this is big news in science and this is big news in terms of brain studies and so on and so forth but it's kind of a duh experience for most dreamers who can you know who again and again say you know i dreamt about my aunt saying that my uncle had just died and it was like it was real and then i woke up in the morning and then they called and sure enough he had just suddenly passed away i mean so things like that happen all the time and people i I find are constantly looking for uh reassurance or some sort of i'm not crazy right because this stuff is happening I picked up this other conversation that some friends of mine were breaking up and that was actually happening and how was I supposed to know about that so it's it's always interesting to me the the disparity between the popularization and just the the broad experience of dreamers everywhere and how you know science is kind of playing catch-up but eventually like with the right tools and the right measuring scales and so forth they can actually prove um that all this stuff that people experience all the time is is real. Well, it's hopefully our goal. Now, sometimes, like you mentioned, somebody might have a dream and then this couple breaks up. And, of course, the skeptic and I myself would say, well, maybe the last time you talked to them, you could pick up something in their tone of voice, the way right. they said, and George, the right. way they said George, that, you know, things ain't too cool back at the home place. Uh, but there's, and these others, there's no kind of contact. They may be haven't been in contact for years, and then all of a sudden the dream happens. And again, it's going to be in our own imagery. At at times I've been active with some research programs for the 
uh, Edgar Casey group down in Virginia Beach, and we would go and have a month-long uh, camp activities and so forth, and it would be on some particular topic. And So one night we were doing it on uh, telepathy, and I had a, there was a woman there who was pregnant. She was having to keep getting up during the night to feed her child and so on. Mm-hmm. And gave her several different pictures, and she randomly selected one of them. They were sealed up in envelopes. And then she tried to, you know, send or transmit that picture. And you'd have to, of course, see the picture. But the picture basically was an underwater scene that involved a scuba diver. Down beneath the scuba diver was a big treasure chest, and there was a lot of uh, gold coins and jewelry hanging out of the uh, treasure chest there. And there was an angelfish uh, swimming around there in the water. So some people picked up the gold coins and some people picked up jewelry and other things. But the woman who was the camp nurse, she had a dream in which she was walking by this pool of beautiful blue water, which nicely fitted in with the color of this target picture. And there was an angelfish there. And so she picked up the angelfish and she gave it mouth-to-gill resuscitation to restore it and then put it back in the water. So for her as a nurse, it was nice because she wasn't interested in the money. Mm-hmm. She was just interested in being a good nurse and trying to restore this angelfish back to life. And so the fact that that's her interest and in how she would relate to the picture of what can I do to help, how can I be in some sort of a rescuing, life-saving mode here, beautifully fitted in where her values were, not the money, most of the other people were focusing in on the the treasure chest right. and the gold coins and and so forth. So she got the water and the angelfish, but in a way that was so distinctive for her. And so we'll find that people will do it in their own individual ways like that, that would be meaningful for them. Yeah. And so you can't always predict that how they're going to see it. That's just as good a hit getting the angelfish in the blue right. water. And then when you're doing the mouth to gill resuscitation, that would be nice imagery because this guy's got a um, scuba tank on, which is, you know, artificial respiration in the sense underwater going on. So it's it's a neat way of incorporating all of those um, things. So, yes, we're trying to get as scientific as we can. I don't know if you've ever heard of some of the work that had been done at Princeton from the Princeton Anomalies uh, research project there. I'm trying to look at unusual events from a point of view of engineering or physics. Mm-hmm. And they found if you had these little measuring devices, these random event generators scattered around the world, when there were big changes in global consciousness like 9-11 or the death of Princess Diana, that these seemed to be affected in all these remote viewing devices all around the world, these random event generators seem to become more active. There seemed to be some linkage together between people when they were fused together with 9-11 as people were around the world or the music or the events associated with Princess Diana. So we're hoping to maybe do that uh, this summer at at Asheville to try and get Uh one of these little devices and see if when the energy gets really high during one of these 
telepathy contest, and we're expecting a lot of energy. We had a very gifted person uh, doing it last year up in Chicago who is a lucid dreamer. Her name was Angel Morgan, and she was she would just have dreams, half a dozen dreams during the night that were lucid dreams, and what she was dreaming about a lot of the people who were participating, they're dreaming about her. And so as I say, everybody was getting into this huge, yeah. big blend, everybody's swimming in the cosmic ocean <laughs> that night. And so what we're hoping to see if during those nights when the agent who was so gifted at it last year, and she's going to be it again, is putting out all this energy and there's all of this attempt to try and get uh, synchrony between the dreamers yeah. and trying to tune in with what she's doing, would that influence these random event generators the same way as this other kind of uh, information that influenced the globe did? So we try and do it. Is this a local shakeup in energy there in Asheville this summer right. that would be associated with what's going on with the telepathy contest? Mm -hmm. So back to breathing again. <laughs> so that's so I mean that and that's a that's a good response, which is basically yeah, but we don't want to just have it be you know all these woo woo people saying oh yeah you know I felt your energy last night. We actually want to see something measurable so that to know that there's actually there's there's a there's a, a basis in physics or in something that accounts for the anomaly of everybody dreaming about the same thing on on a given night and so uh, i mean it's fascinating to me and i've i haven't actually participated in the dream telepathy um, studies there at the conference but maybe this maybe this year i will that would be kind of interesting it's 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 a hoot yeah i would strongly strongly <laughs> encourage you or any of the, the listeners to come to it because yeah. That they have been doing it over the years, and a lot of the, you know, the old-time dreamers who have been part of the organization for a long time would have been somewhat skeptical. But it's kind of softened them up because year after year after year after year, we still keep getting interesting results, and it starts raising their eyes and brows, you know, higher and higher and higher. Like yeah. maybe there is something to that. Maybe there really <laughs> is something going on in there. And so this way, with the random event generators, where you have it come up as a each. You know, uh, second when you score it, it comes up as either a one or a zero, and then you can see you know, whether there's mm -hmm. an overloading of one versus the other. And I wouldn't be able to explain it that concisely in a yeah. short period of time right. here. But it, it is quantifiable, and you can get statistical odds because you know, given the number of trials, how many ones and zeros should come up when it balances itself off, and it should be 50-50. Right. You should get as many ones right. as you do get zeros. And so when you start getting an imbalance in those, there's something in terms of the um, source of this, which comes from radioactive substances, that, that gets shifted. It gets spun a little bit. It gets set on its head a little yes. bit, whatever analogy we would want to use. And what is it? So, yeah, it's not, I'm all for woo-woo energy <laughs> also, but it's nice to be able to take and say woo-woo energy means X number of ones and zeros that are significant at the level of point zero 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 three five or something, right, and, right. and have the documentation for that. Yes, and have it be understandable by statisticians. Right. <laughs> well, it's a, it's somebody's got to do it, and I'm really glad it's not me. <laughs> I didn't do all that well in statistics in school. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about, and we're talking to Bob Vandecastle, dream researcher and all-around interesting guy in the field of dreams. Um, 
one of the things that that's actually come up twice in the last little bit of time here is the mention of the angels, the angel fish, the woman named Angel who was the sender in the dream telepathy uh, contest. And I know that you, I've, I've heard you talk some about angels in dreams, and I'm really interested in this. I have uh, a couple people who have, um, who've had angels in their dreams recently, and we've just sort of been puzzling over, what does that mean? You know, what is, what is this thing about angels in dreams? And so I'm, I'm wondering, I'd like to ask you, when you, when you talk about angels in dreams, how do you conceive of the whole idea of angels? Well, that's a uh, work in progress. I'm still trying to to understand that. It would take a, uh, quite a digression as to how all of it started for me, but I had had some experiences with what we could call an entity, and this entity did refer to itself as being an angel. And as an ex-Catholic who wanted nothing to, any more to do with Catholicism or any Catholic concepts, the idea of an angel was not anything I wanted to hear about. Right. Since this entity kept insisting on calling herself an angel, and I just kept experiencing more paranormal events in a couple months' time than I had at that time in a 40-year career. It's now been about 50 years, but at that time it had been about a 40-year career in parapsychology, and yet I kept seeing things that just don't have too much hair left, but what little is left almost would stand my hair mm-hmm. on end because they were so incredible. And yet this entity kept saying she was an angel. She had been sent from the source. And so it got me questioning, and I don't have the answer to it yet, but I know that dreams are so powerful and can give us so many deep insights. And as we were talking about with the telepathy notions and we are talking about with Jung and so forth, yeah. that they're frequently gets to be these kind of ecstatic experiences with angels. So I've put out a call to try and get examples of angel dreams, and I've got uh, you know, well over a hundred something that I've tried to classify. And like you can have an angel in a dream. I've got you know, some were, it would be like the idea of the dreaming of a statue of an angel. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it has an angel form, yeah. but doesn't have the angel energy. It's not a vitalized angel. And then you can go all the way up to where the angel is, you know, going, flying through the skies and uh, having musical instruments that they're playing and so forth. So there can be a whole level of vitality or intensification of of energy there. Uh, and there's been one or two dissertations where they've tried to take accounts of angels and see. And they seem to be pretty much of an equal opportunity one. Some studies show more of the angels are judged to be male and some show them to be female. So it's not a not clear-cut findings as to the gender mm-hmm. of angels. When you dream about them, you don't seem to often dream about their feet. They don't usually have shoes on. Uh, they just seem, the, the feet are rather indistinct. And usually some kind of, you know, gossamer kind of uh, silk clothing that's uh, pastel colored and right. lots of light. So I've got many, many that are uh, just radiant. They almost 
blinding in terms of the amount of light with them. And my feeling is that whenever we get light in dreams, those are powerful dreams. They definitely pick us up, shake us around, and get our attention whenever we have this great intensity of light shining through. So I've got some with that, and then you can see some people, you know, they feel like this has been a transformative experience for them. They've had this dream, and then they're just like, never the same after that. Now I know. Now I have experience. Now I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the Talmud says or any other source. I know. I had this dream. I felt this light. I saw this beauty. I heard this singing. I heard this, you know, heavenly choir. And it, I'm, I'm just a different person now. Uh-huh. Now, sometimes people are skeptical. I had one dream where somebody had an angel appear. It was a big geographical map. The angel was there in sort of an instructive role, had a little, uh, you know, uh, stick to point out something, and went over to the map and pointed and said, you should move here, huh. and indicated around Arizona. And the person 10 years later had never done that. Now, if I had a dream where I got an angel in my dream, and I've been wondering about where I should move, yeah. and the angel comes up with a pointer and yeah. comes up to a map and says, here, <laughs> here, go here. You know, I would be on the next plane or bus out of town, but this yeah. person, you know, didn't. And so for them, they still didn't have the deeper conviction, uh-huh. you know, of what the angels uh, right. would be on that. So I'm hoping to do a book on down the line that I've gotten one started, but I've also now gotten involved with the idea of trying to bring our dreaming mind up and revise it because it came out in... 96, and so there's been a lot of new findings in the last 15 years, so I've worked out an understanding with Don Mittendorf, who teaches at Evergreen State uh, College there in Oregon, to collaborate with me on it, because he's got a background in biology and physics, and want to try and bring it out in a new, you know, bigger and revised edition like that. So I still have copies around here, if I can put in a plug if anybody sure. is interested in trying to buy yes. a copy, all postage covered for $25 and a personally inscribed book, you could contact me at my email site, which is rlv at virginia.edu. RLV. And I'd be happy to send you out an inscribed book for the, okay. for the $25. So, and would also, since we're plugging, would like to plug your book since I've had a chance to see it. You sure. were kind enough to share it with me and I have really enjoyed what to do when dreams go bad, uh, Practical Guide to Nightmare, very good book, very helpful, and lots of useful information. And my partner, Bobby Pym, who you mentioned at yes. the beginning of it, she's just completing a book that, with the same title she has on her webpage of uh-huh. Notes from a Dreamer, where she's trying to discuss some of her experiences. So now we've just been flagrant, flagrant, <laughs> flaunting all of our projects here. Well, that, that is part of the, that, that's the great thing about radio, is being able to connect people to, to interesting resources and to get find out more information about the stuff they might uh, really have an affinity for. So let me just repeat that. If you want a, an autographed copy of Our Dreaming Mind, which I highly recommend, gang, uh, send $25, and you can contact Bob personally at rlv at virginia.edu. You can also find out more about all of his uh, research on angels and dreams and everything else at ourdreamingmind.com. 
And Bobby Ann Pym has a website, notesfromadreamer.com, and she is uh, wrapping up a book on dreams, too. Now, I have another question for you, uh, the sort of a follow-up angel question here. Because um, it doesn't. It sounds like you're, you know, as a lapsed Catholic or as a as a recovering Catholic, however you want to imagine that. It sounds like the jury's still out for you in terms of what, uh, whether these angels are how they, uh, you know, what just what the agency is of these angels. On whose authority do they come and and give people profound experiences? But the fact is, they really do. And and you know the 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 examples you're citing of people having visions of angels and thinking, now I know, now I feel secure that when I die, I will go, you know, here or there, or, or, or I will see this person or that person, which is, it's wonderful. And it, it seems to me that there's a couple different ways that angels appear in dreams. One are these completely ecstatic, um, sort of other otherworldly presence of angels in dreams. And the other is, it's kind of, uh, these interesting, almost anomalous angel sightings where, for instance, an angel doesn't have wings and it just kind of in free fall and it bounces down to the ground and then bounces back up again. And people think, oh, that's an angel. You know, so the, the, the idea of angels coming in in different, different regions, which leaves a dreamer thinking, should I interpret this dream as being some profound insight, or is this a, a you know a view of my own skepticism about angels and uh, religion and everything else? So it, it's interesting to me the ambiguity of the angel figure, and yet the the real uh, profound implications that angels in dreams carry. Right, I, I think they can be these beautiful you know gossamer figures. Sometimes they have wings, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. I've got one postcard that I love that shows somebody as the milkman, you know, with a little set of wings on his back, coming up and delivering the milk. Uh-huh. And in the Bible, we see the, I, I won't have it down exactly, but the idea of, you know, be kind to whoever comes to your door because it may be an angel in disguise. Right. And we certainly have many accounts in the angel literature that are not necessarily dreams where the mysterious stranger comes, you're out in the snowstorm, the woman is stranded, and then all of a sudden some kindly stranger appears, you know, changes the tire, right. goes back to thank them, and there's nobody there, and uh-huh. there's no footsteps in the snow. You know, and there's a, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of those where they seem to come at the necessary time, they save somebody from drowning, or they do some other thing, and they can uh, be sort of metamorphized into a lot of different friends. And so uh, I've talked to several people with, you know, involved with the hospice movement, and a lot of them report how frequently it will be somebody who's getting close to making their transition will report dreams of angels, and then where before they had been quite terrified about their transition mm-hmm. and dying and not existing anymore now start having dreams with angels and now they start having smiles on their face and they seem peaceful and the whole complexion and demeanor seems different. They almost seem to be radiating some light themselves and it seems like they're ready to be, you know, escorted now by the angels to the other side so they can be wonderful figures for transition and a person is no longer fearful and so there is, a, you know, paintings of the angel of death where the angel is picking up the person and escorting them to this new transition. So right. just as angels are, 
eternal. I don't think angels just live and die and they die at age 70 and that's the end of them. Just as we have an eternal life, we keep going and definitely would be uh, believing in the idea of reincarnation. We come back in many different kinds of life forms and different kinds of characters and so forth. I think angels can be transformative, can come for different sorts of reasons, but we know it, and they don't have to be like a classic painting in the church of what the angel looks like. There's just this feeling of love, of acceptance. When you see this painting like God extending out a hand and the energy coming out from the hand to the person, they just feel like somehow the whole love and eternal qualities of the universe are condensed into a single image, and that image is delimited in a way by the angel, but it still is so impactful and so condensed that it's, you know, like atomic illumination. Uh, it, it just, it, it's it's such a strong feeling that we just kind of fumble around like I'm yeah. doing now, trying to find the words <laughs> to describe it. Well, I really look forward to uh, your writing on the subject, and I, I think it's it's fascinating, and it, it really is fascinating for most people, whether you're religious or not, just this idea of uh, the supernatural and these beings, these spiritual beings, beings of light coming in and sort of interrupting our, our daily routine with messages that are, are uh, most uh, most important and most welcomed in, in many cases. Uh, we have to wrap it up, but uh, Bob Van I like Castle, the expression, beings of light. That's a nice way of, of characterizing light, yeah. it. Oh, good. Well, yeah. Feel free. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, you calling and talking to us all about your, your, your dream travels over the years. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Always happy to engage in other kind of potential future travelers in the realm of dreams. And hope some of you show up there for our conference in Nashville. And hope some of you sign up for a cyber dreaming conference. If you go to our website at asdrams.org, yes. you can get information about the cyber dreaming conference, our regular conference, our publications, our organization, and and etc. So that's asd R-E-A-M-S dot org. Yes. So thanks so much. I really appreciate the chance to be able to uh, get ourselves mutually excited about things. <laughs> That's right. You're more than welcome. Uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> that was uh, Robert Van de Castle. Uh, fabulous guy. Really, honestly, Our Dreaming Mind is a go-to book for uh, pretty much, it's it's a complete survey of, of dream information from the ancient time to modern day, and it covers dream research and different theorists and just a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, you can get in touch with Robert Van de Castle at ourdreamingmind.com. And you can also uh, get in touch with Bobby Ann Pym, his partner at notesfromadreamer.com. And she has some really interesting stuff that she's doing with uh, this. Well, I'll, I'll let I'll let you um, I'll let you explore her site to, to find out more information. But interesting notes from the frontier of dreaming. And so this has been a special Sunday edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill. I've been sitting in for uh, Peter Lawfer, who is otherwise occupied today, but he will be back next Sunday from nine to eleven uh, with news, I'm sure, to share, and uh, uh, of course various interesting subjects to cover. 
So I've been sort of around the world from uh, the California prison system to the realm of angels, and I'm feeling a little bit of whiplash, I think, <laughs> but I wanted to mention also one more thing about AS Dreams, uh, AS, the International Association for the Study of Dreams at asdreams.org. You can find out more information about all kinds of stuff. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.